September 16, 2001. I was preaching at St. Gregory's Church. The lectionary included this text from Jeremiah. Blow the trumpet through the land, shout aloud and say, gather together, flee for safety to the fortified cities. Do not delay, for I am bringing evil from the north and great destruction. A lion has come up from its thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. So put on sackcloth, lament and wail. The fierce anger of the Lord has not turned away from us. A hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people. A wind too strong to winnow or cleanse. Now I speak judgment against them. Look, he comes up, the, up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. Months before Advent, every year, our autumn lectionary is thick with Advent-flavored disaster, end of the world, God mightier than any power of this world readings like this one. But that Sunday, I don't remember what I said about Jeremiah, that Sunday, five days after Al-Qaeda terrorists flew hijacked planes into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, killing almost 3,000 people in the deadliest terrorist attack in human history. Those killed included my cousin Bill and family and friends of other St. Gregory's parishioners. No, I don't remember what I preached that Sunday or how I engaged this wrenching text from Jeremiah. What I remember with startling clarity from that day was coffee hour, where I was standing, the particular quality of light in the room the moment when my friend Maggie, a parishioner and a therapist, probably 15 or so years older than me, approached, as she often did, with preaching advice. <laughs> this time she put her hand on my arm and said, her voice breaking, or she tried to ride the feelings and keep it from breaking, mustering all the insistence she could. Donald, she said, from now on, every Sunday, you have got to tell us how not to be afraid. Tell us again and again. Preach it every sermon. You can't tell us too often. That moment and Maggie's words come to mind every Advent and before as this string of Advent-flavored readings begin. I wonder how people are hearing and experiencing the current news. I wonder how we're listening to the readings. I wonder whether we need trauma therapy. This year, since the Hamas terrorist attack of October 7, all the familiar fall and advent end the world readings, how have we felt of God coming in justice, of the restoration of Zion, of the Son of Man coming in the clouds? It rang for me or crashed or clanged with painful conflicted residence. With our Sunday readings and with the unfolding news of the war, I think about lovely people and places Liz and a little group of us from Resurrection visited last year, a year ago last, a year ago last September in Israel and Palestine. 
St. Andrews, Ramallah, where the Arab-speaking Episcopal congregation welcomed us so warmly to worship, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, St. Fotina's Church in Nablus, built over Jacob's well, places now stained with Palestinian blood from settler violence. I also remember and give thanks for a precious, beautiful visit Ellen and I had with a Jewish friend, college classmate of mine, an artist who moved his family to Israel in the late 1980s, where he raised a remarkable, deeply good family. When he welcomed us into his house, he told us we were the first guests he'd had since his wife had died just four months before. He said he was shattered at the loss, but told us how proud and grateful he was that she'd been able to die at home, surrounded by family, after her long fight with brain cancer. Ellen and I told him we'd add him to those we named in our daily prayers, our little list, our children, their spouses and grandchildren, a handful of young people, now adults from St. Gregory's, people we knew who had cancer or, and were in treatment, and people who were grieving. With tears, my friend said he welcomed our prayers, adding that our practice inspired him to add prayers for grieving to people to his regular prayers for the sick. All these people, my gracefully Zionist classmate, our Arab Episcopalian sisters and brothers in Ramallah, Liz's Muslim friends in Nablus, our San Francisco cross the street Palestinian grocer from Bethlehem, and the whole American Jewish network of our daughter, our Jewish, his, her Jewish husband, their synagogue, our grandchildren and their school, and all of our son-in-law's son family were all on my heart as the world's heart broke and communities broke open, polar, polarized by horror or justification of the Hamas attacks and hostage taking and Israel's promise of merciless reprisal that continues to unfold now. In Gaza, that ensuing argument was pursued with firepower, but in the rest of the world, for the most part, it was a very unpacific shouting and accusation all perspectives and opinions ready with instant reproach for anything construed as both-sidism. Advent 1, two weeks ago, two, and two months after the Habas attack, our Isaiah reading hit so close to the bone. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. Who did Isaiah imagine were God's adversaries? And today, where are God, God's adversaries in the attacks? and counterattacks, or where in all this conflict and justification of terror should we seek justice or God's vengeful hand? Through these weeks of heartbreak and horror, I was gifted with a surprisingly bright and comforting moment early in it all, October 11th on Facebook. I read a long post by Israeli novelist Ori Hanan Weisberg. I want to share part of what he wrote. It begins with his telling that the of telling what he identifies as the most important line in the book of Job. 
I'm quoting him now. After Job loses everything and is subjected to intense physical and emotional trauma, he cries out to God demanding an explanation. Friends gather to discuss how Job might continue to believe in a just God and, and a just and good God and the possibility of a just and good world. They mean well. The friend who speaks last, Eliphaz the Temanite, holds the most correct position. He's really smart, wise even. He probes the problem deeply and calls for a complex, nuanced position and a view of God and the world that could work. And then God appears. He speaks to Joseph, I'm sorry, to jo he speaks to Job from out of the whirlwind. And then before pivoting to his friends, he doesn't address the three, but speaks directly to Eliphaz. Here we're quoting from the book of Job. After the Holy One spoke these words to Job, the Holy One said to Eliphaz the Temani, I am incensed with you and your friends because you didn't speak to me appropriately like my servant Job. Notice God doesn't commend Eliphaz's powerful theodicy, his justification of God's own justice. He doesn't say, yep, well done, Elushka, brilliant child, you got it right, and your benighted brother Job just needs to listen to you. No, God rebukes Eliphaz for being too invested in his own argument. A great Jewish historian said the book of Job teaches that we don't always deserve answers, but we have the right and even the obligation to demand a hearing especially in, in extremis. So, Ori Weisenberg, in the spirit of demanding a hearing, continues to answer readers and friends' questions, how are you, with his resounding catalog of deep, deep angers. It's a page and a half long. He's angry at Hamas. He's angry at Netanyahu. He's angry at the deaths of coming that will be coming. He's angry at the deaths of Palestinian children. He's angry at the deaths of Hebrew children, at people around the globe offering righteous certainties, at people denouncing their enemies and any who disagreed with them. I found this long, impassioned, richly contradictory list strangely comforting. I heard a lot of a hint for how to listen with the mind and the heart, and so about how to pray. His anger felt like an act of being present, like parousia, that great advent word that some translators render as the second coming, but it means something much simpler and more startling. Para, alongside, usia, being. Being present, coming alongside. Apparently, Ori's words spoke to a whole lot of other people. Within a couple of days, his post was shared 19,000 times, including by a good number of Episcopal clergy. So, despite this preacher's plans and best intentions, Ori's words on Job and his anger drew my heart from the glory of the Magnificat, which we sang as our psalm. Mary's ringing praise of God's justice and God's reckoning with tyrants 
and all the wielding power or privilege over others, all that are wielding power and privilege over others. God's raising up the lowly to an unexpected Advent focus on a text from today, another text from today's readings. Paul's word in Thessalonians. His brief practice council to a new congregation. These are part of the first written word that we have any record of in Christian history. Paul writing 20 years before any gospel was written. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all things. In all, give thanks. Unceasingly pray. Always rejoice. Pray, give thanks, rejoice. Always, unceasingly, and in all. That's it. Where it comes around to. A place where we can hold contradiction and come alongside suffering. A place where there's hope. As T.S. Eliot wrote in Little Gidding, you were not here to verify, instruct yourselves, or inform curiosity, or carry report. You are here to kneel where prayer has been valid. Always, unceasingly in all, looking for the way of presence, coming alongside, the heart of prayer in the love that binds us all together despite, despite all of it. Playing with the beauty and paradoxical wrench of Advent, my old friend Gretchen Pritchard did a beautiful rewrite of Charles Wesley's wonderful and sometimes quite troubling Advent hymn, Lo, He Comes on Clouds Descending. I read it this week and then tried to sing it to Ellen, and my voice broke in places it felt so full of kneeling where prayer has been valid, of coming alongside. I'm debating at the moment whether to try to sing it to you or read it to you. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for our salvation slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending Swell the triumph of his train Alleluia, alleluia Christ the Lord returns to reign Every tribe and nation shall before his presence stand. Hail the author of creation and the Lamb at his right hand. Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega, gathering them from every land. He who died is now living in his dazzling body bare. 
wounds of love are sinning's forgiving, bidding us forget our fears. Arm of healing, arm of healing, grace that dries all human tears. Honor, glory, worship, blessing to the Lamb upon the throne who with tender love unceasing brings his ransomed people home. Alleluia, alleluia. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly come.